Hello and welcome to Radio Maria with me, Tim Hutchinson, on questions of faith and Sister Carino. Hello, Sister Carino. Hello, Tim. How are you doing this fine day? I am doing very well. Obviously feeling a bit nervous whenever one is on a show the week after Father Richard Allensworth is on. That's a tough act to follow. Yeah, we didn't actually, no one called in. I think they were all maybe a little bit, a tad yeah. bit scared. You know. <laughs> also, the the topic was quite an ominous one. We were, we were talking about war. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah, that might have been a bit of a uh, deterrent. Deterrent? 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 Did I say it right the first time? I think so. Oh. Deterrent, I would say. I, don't know. I can. I think uh, the South African accent covers a multitude of sins. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Although Father Toby might might think differently. Um, but he's not here. He's not here. Yeah, the cat's away. Exactly. So I think you know what this program is about enough to be able to explain it to our listeners. I'm going to ask you to do exactly that. Amazing. So on the show Questions of Faith, we encourage uh, listeners to phone in or write in with any questions they have about our Catholic faith and the presenters of the show. Yeah, that's um, us. us. Mm -hmm. Um, Today you've got me and Tim. We'll try our best to answer them, to expound a little bit on the treasures of our faith um, as we find them in scripture and the tradition of the church. That's right. Yeah. So we don't try and give our own answers um, as interesting as they might be, but we try and give answers from the church's teaching. And as Radio Maria tries to be in all things, we want to be faithful to um, the church and to the Holy Spirit working in the church, uh, in case that wasn't clear. Um, so today is a, a very uh, happy day. What sort of day is it? Tell us, Sister Karina. It's a feast day. It is the feast of the archangels, St. Michael, St. Gabriel and St. Raphael. But do not be deceived. You may not eat meat. Oh, yes. It's only a feast, not a solemnity. Yeah. Solemnities are meat Fridays. As solemn as this feast may seem, it's not a solemnity, I'm afraid. Although I have a feeling that the Dominicans here are eating meat because it is the the namesake of their priory. Um, Mm. And they mm-hmm. sang a creed this morning. Anyways, oh. I, I feel like you're umming because I'm I'm waffling a little bit much. And actually, I, I was umming because I was trying to work out if it would be appropriate to to talk a little about how we have a universal liturgical calendar, but then oh. there are specific geographical places where a, a celebration that might be just a memorial somewhere is actually like a proper big feast for someone else, yeah, or even a solemnity because of say the patronage of your parish church or the patronage of your of your religious house kind of upgrades it yeah which is why in cambridge there is bacon but in the new forest there is not (laughs) yes (laughs) right um so let us pray because that's a really good thing to do before we do anything um but particularly before we try and do something like answer people's questions on live radio so you i'm going to ask you to pray because you are in the habit thereof. Mine stick more. Excellent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we place ourselves in your presence today. We know that where two or three are gathered in the name of your Son, there he is, revealing you to us. And so we ask you, 
through your Holy Spirit to bless us, to bless all who call in and all who listen to this show, to infuse our hearts and our minds with your grace so that we may lead others closer to your son, Jesus. And we ask all of this in the name of that same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Archangels of God. Pray for us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, what's the point of angels, you might ask? Or why do we celebrate them on a feast? Why do we have this feast for Michael? St. Michael, why do we call them saints? So many good questions. But I'm going to wait for you to ask them. <laughs> Let's listen to a question that has nothing to do with um, angels, but it's from one of our listeners. And here we go. Hello, this is Sarah Taylor. Um, I have a question for Questions of Faith. So I'm a catechist in my parish and we teach um, children who are preparing for First Holy Communion. Um, we have a big group of children. We divide them into groups and each group is named after one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales who are patrons of our parish because our parish is our Lady of the Assumption and the English Martyrs. Um, so one of the groups is Saint Margaret Clitheroe and we were looking up the feast days for the different saints so that we can encourage the children and the families to celebrate when their particular saint comes around. And when we looked for Saint Margaret Clitheroe, she has no fewer than four feast days. Um, she has the 25th of October, which is the 40 Martyrs of England and Wales celebrated in Wales. Then the 4th of May, which is the 40 Martyrs of England and Wales celebrated in England. Then on the 30th of August, she has a feast day which she shares with St Anne Lyne and St Margaret Ward. And then finally, it seems on the 27th of February, she also shares a feast day with St Anne Lyne and St Margaret Ward, specifically in the Diocese of Nottingham. So we were uh, astonished and, you know, happily astonished. And so my question is, is this a record for feast days for one saint? Also, do you have a recommendation about which you would celebrate if you were to pick one? Thank you. Lovely question. That is a brilliant question. Now, the short answer is, I don't know if St. Margaret Clitheroe is, is the most prevalent saint in, in the calendar for England and Wales. And I tried to find out, but could not go about it quickly enough or efficiently enough uh, to do so for this programme. What I can tell you is that the sisters, we celebrate um, the feast day on the 30th of August, so um, where she tag teams with um, Anne Line. And I think it's, I can talk generally about the principles about how a saint ends up in several different places in the liturgical calendar at once. Um, but I won't be able to tell you if if Margaret, St. Margaret Clitheroe is, is the most prevalent. I think for the purposes of this answer, I'm excluding Our Lady, <laughs> who, yeah. has, who has multiple feast days, but is also in a category of her own, being not just like a holy member of the church, but also its, its type, you know, its archetype and its um its its image and icon as as the catechism and and lumen gentium puts it um so yes say margaret clitheroe she's counted as a martyr for england and a martyr 
for Wales and is also celebrated as one of the female martyrs of England and Wales. And so we can see here how when we have a saint celebrated in multiple different ways in one single liturgical calendar, it's because we're drawing out particular um, aspects of their life, which are of particular, as it were, use and inspiration for different parts of the faithful. So the faithful in Wales can call upon her intercession in a specific way um, as a martyr of Wales. The people of England can call upon her intercession in a specific way as, as a martyr of England and so on. And so this is why we have saints popping up as one person, but at, under different aspects of their lives of heroic virtue um, in the calendar. So I'm sorry that's not a very um, good answer. But the thing is, it was a very good question. So at least, <laughs> at least 50% of, of the question and answer balance um, is yeah. of very high quality. No, I think I think you... I think you did a good job of that. Um, and um, yeah, could you think of, this was a, an interesting question that was put uh, to me once at a uh, liturgical chant forum. Okay. What are two sort of um, old law figures, so mm -hmm. before before the um, resurrection, yeah. uh, feature in the divine office every day? The divine office every day to people of the old law, um, as in, in the old test from the old testament. No, not necessarily. <laughs> okay, so I would say Simeon with the nunc dimittis. Very good. And also um, Zeph uh, Zechariah in the Benedictus. That's right. Yeah, or you could say John the Baptist. Oh, but, yeah, 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 one way or another. That's, um, yeah, I I found that quite quite interesting but then i am a bit of a, a liturgy nerd you might say um it's a good thing to be <laughs> yeah it has its has its ups and downs um all right we're gonna listen to a piece of music um this is angel band sung by the brothers franzig here is angel band <laughs>
Now, I'm going to play this one from um, Anna Fleischer, and um, hopefully you can hear it all right. How many angels can dance upon the top of a pin? <laughs> do you want to give us a little bit of background to that, Sister Karina? Yes, I do. Also, when, when Tim played that uh, during the break, I, I emitted a loud wail. <laughs> <laughs> which oh I, I no she said no she cried which I, I cannot recreate because it was spontaneous um mm. but yes how many angels can dance on the head of a pin um anna is asking a question which was basically a question with which protestant theologians used to kind of troll catholics in the 17th century because there was a there was a reputation which um catholic scholastic theologians developed among they're separated Protestant brethren for being obsessed with minutiae that had no real relevance to our Min lives of faith. Minutiae. Is that a word? Did I say it right? Minutiae. I, I know. I mean, I just never heard it before. Minutiae. I'm pretty sure it's a word. Okay. I'm pretty sure. But now I, now I doubt myself. You Dominicans. Little, little, little unimportant. Oh, I, I, understand, I understand what it means. <laughs> the etymology um, was, was rather um, obvious to me. Um, so yes, minutiae, they, they were obsessed with the minutiae um, and not really with the big important questions of theology. And this was summed up in this kind of satirical question, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Um, nowhere in his corpus does say um, St. Thomas Aquinas address this question. He does address sort of similar questions like, can angels, can several angels be in the same place at once? And in answer to that, he talks about how angels are, are pure spirits. They're not corporeal. Um, they make themselves visible to humans, but that's when they have to. But that's not the same as, as taking on a body or becoming incarnate. So he, he answers that question, can, can several angels be in the same place at once? Um, in that context of, of they are purely spiritual beings, but when they appear, they need to appear in such a way that it, that is coherent to a material being's understanding of how the world works. What I would say in answer to that question is that we need to remember, as um, St. Gregory the Great tells us um, in his little treatise on angels, which we read in the Office of Readings this morning for today's feast day, is that angel is not primarily the name of a being, it's the name of a function that that being takes on. So angel from the Greek angelos means messenger. And so an angel is is a, a created spirit that has been given a specific role of delivering a message to to a human being as part of salvation history. So, you know, think of Gabe, Gabriel, you know, delivering the message um, at the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary. So my response would be, if this created spirit is an angel, by which we mean it has been given the specific task of delivering a message as, as part of the unfolding of salvation history, why would it be wasting its time dancing around on top of a pin when it has a message to deliver? So I would say none of them would be dancing on the heads of pins because they would all be off delivering messages as per their function. 
That's what I would say. Right. Yeah. So it's basically your answer is why would an angel want to dance on a pin in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good answer. Um, I like the scholastic, I think it's a scholastic uh, explanation of how a spirit is where a spirit acts. Oh. So, because they don't occupy space. So, mm. um, you can't say that, like, suddenly the, the angel's here and then the angel's half out the door and then the angel's mm. yeah. um, in yeah. the next room. It's like wherever the, the angel or evil spirit, for that matter, um, is acting, that's where it sort of almost by analogy is. Mm. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm hmm. How'd you like them apples, um, yeah. Anna Fleischer? Yeah, Anna. We're going to listen to uh, Panis Angelicus by the uh, Choir Boys. And then when we get back, we'll be taking more questions. listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria, and that was the choir boys singing Panis Angelicus. Anna Fleischer says, good answer, and that um, quote, 
my Very good. thesis supervisor would approve of the of the an angel is where it acts maxim. Oh. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> so we we got that approval from the Fleischer. We have a question that has been sent in. It goes as follows. So um if Lucifer rebelled against God and there were other angels as well, what is keeping my guardian angel who might get fed up with me also rebelling against God and lead me down the wrong path? I I um I hope that nothing has recently happened in in your life, uh dear <laughs> listener, that would make you think maybe my guardian is going to get fed up with me soon. Maybe he's just going to throw in the towel. Um, so the thing we need to remember about angels is that as purely spiritual beings, 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 that is a word I made up, as purely spiritual beings, um, they do normatively exist outside of time and space. That you know, they, they enter time and space in order to give us messages, um, but they are created as, as pure spirit, and so they don't exist um, with it within the bounds of time and space. And that means that the decision for or against God, which the human person makes gradually and incrementally over the course of a life um, growing in God's grace, um, which sort of reaches its terminus after a length of time at the point of death, that decision for or against God um, that all creatures, that all sort of sentient rational creatures are called to make Angels make in an instant at the moment of their creation. Um, so for us, that choice is sort of elongated. It's stretched out across the course of our earthly lives. Whereas for angels, it's made once um, permanently and instantaneously at the moment of their creation. So your your guardian angel is um, is not on a rolling contract. Um, they, they are locked in. Um, they've made the decision um, for God. So they are not, full, not a fallen angel. And so they will remain your guardian angel, um, no matter what challenges you throw at them. I wonder if you, one might say that they are their decision in that Ooh, sense. I like that. Yes. Because it's because even to say that in the instance of their creation implies a certain framework of time. Not oh, that that's I, true. Not yeah. that I want to kind of um, go up against centuries of scholastic teaching here, but... Um, well, I mean, to be fair, talking about, by definition, talking about things that are outside of space and time is difficult to the point of impossible yeah. for us as human beings because we only know how to operate within space and time. That is the framework within which we work. Um, and I do remember um, earlier in my religious life reading Joseph Ratzinger's book, Eschatology, which is amazing. Um, but there are a few bits in it where he talks about you know the way we talk how the way we talk about eternity is is by its nature like hugely limited because of our um creation as as material beings who operate within time and space and actually it was so mind-blowing that i found it slightly upsetting and had to sort of put the book down for several weeks at a time wow. um but yes it's yeah when we come to talk about angels and when i say the moment of their creation yeah moment is is temporal language moment is is time language mm -hmm. and so i'm falling into the trap that i'm trying to pull everyone else out of um which is quite sad really isn't it yeah sad when you do that sister Karina. 
Yeah. The other thing that I was going to ask you has slipped my mind. So I'm going to bring up another question from one of our um, one of our dear listeners. Uh, this is from um, Karen Wayne, and she says, "Just a th- just thought of a question: Where do archangels fit into the ranks of angels?" You know what? I feel this is slightly outside my comfort zone. But the thing I am going to say is I'm just going to draw on what um, St. Gregory the Great said this morning in the Office of Readings, um, where he, he doesn't he doesn't put the the rank uh, the archangels in a rank with like the cherubim and the seraphim. This is this is counted as sort of a, a different um, taxonomy of angels. And he just says that we have we have angels as in spirits who are messengers and archangels, which is the angels who have been entrusted with messages of direct, profound, and most immediate importance for the course of salvation history. So like, um, you know, Gabriel with renunciation and so on. St. Michael casting the devil out of heaven, etc. It's funny how you forget things, because I think that we actually have covered this before in Questions of Faith, and it's coming back to me now only while you were speaking and i think what we because i don't think that um archangel actually appears anywhere in scripture don't think it does so we we hear of the seraphim uh and the cherubim and uh, i think there's another category as well that goes under um something strange like values or something like that it's almost like it sounds like a, a a term for a um, abstract noun rather than than an angel and the what i what i proposed in that was that this is actually a um something that slipped in from from uh kind of later language because we have archbishops right oh yes and so i think it just is right. to distinguish okay. the angels that we kind of uh, have an important role in scripture from other angels but that they're not like a a a actually an actual classified rank like it's it may uh, this is just me speculating that that you know the um angel gabriel may be a seraphim or uh Mm. seraph Seraph. yeah Um, seraphim would be the plural right yeah Yeah. so then it would be something to this to this discussion Oh, you give so much. Um, so I think that that is my um, my take on that. We have a caller, so I'm going to put this caller straight on. I hope the caller doesn't mind. Radio Maria, hello. Hi, it's Sandy. Hi, Sandy. I'm Do you Sandy. have a question? Pardon? Do you have a question for us? I do have a question for you. Oh, well, I, I think I have a question for you. I'm sure you'll make a question out of it. <laughs> anyway, I have had, ever since I was a little tiny tot, well, since I, I, I have, there has been a, a very gentle, loving being beside me all the way through my life. And I'm sure, actually, I always refer to them as, as he. Now, are our guardian angels he's or she's? Ah. 
First of all, that's thank you. One, yeah, okay. That, yeah, that's, that's one thing. And the other thing is that I'm sure this is a my guardian angel, and it has been the same one that has been with me all through my life. So you're, is that a question, the, that second uh, one? Well, can, 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 well, it's an observation for me. Right. Yeah. But the question is, do our guardian angels stay with us all of our life? Now, I think they do, but you yeah. may have a different um, take on it. Right. The other thing is that the people that I have spoken to, some have seen their guardian angels and they're huge. And I feel, I've never seen, I've never seen it, he, she, um, this loving, loving being, um, but it's much bigger than me. Right. Yeah, this, these are great questions. First, I just want to thank you for sharing um, that that, uh, yeah. that piece of of your um, your devotional life, if I can call it that. That's really that's really quite inspiring and precious, Sister Karina. <laughs> so yes, I'd like to echo Tim's thanks. That's wonderful. I think you know what you have described of that sort of presence that's been with you throughout your life. You know that that does sound like it, it could be your guardian angel. You know, or, or, pos- or possibly a, a saint who has who has placed you on, under their specific patronage or, or friendship. And in terms of are angels he's or she's, um, they are neither because they don't have sexes, because they're not embodied creatures. So the, the point of us being sexed creatures um, as male or female is to determine what role we play in sexual reproduction, which is a, a function of our, of our bodies, and angels don't have bodies. In fact, not only do angels not have sexes, they don't have, they're all an individual species, St. Thomas Aquinas says. Each each angel is is its own individual species because it's got nothing sort of material to sort of um, either link it together with other angels or differentiate it from other groups of angels. You know, they're differentiated by by the role they play in salvation history. Um, and so he says that angels don't, that each angel is an individual species. Um, in terms of how they appear to us, um, when angels appear, they're not—they're not physically taking on a body, but they're yeah. just making themselves manifest to us in a way that we can understand. So it's—it's it's very yeah. much dependent, really, on sort of what the person needs um, and what message they're trying to convey. And I have to say, the, the idea of angels being bigger than us—I think we need to remember that when we read about the descriptions of angels in the Old Testament, for instance, in Isaiah chapter six. They are very big and actually quite intimidating and you might almost say frightening. You know, I think there's a reason why why angels tend to say, do not be afraid, because I think they, they realise that it would be kind of logical to be afraid of, of a being that appears <laughs> so large. You know, the, the angel in the book of Isaiah chapter six has six pairs of wings. You know, it, it's big enough to, to, to encompass, you know, six separate pairs of wings. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if an angel were to appear much larger than us. And if it were to appear um, smaller or the same size as a human, I think that would be a deliberate choice based on what the human being in question needs to hear, needs to take away from, from this encounter. Ah, oh, okay. Then the other question was whether uh, guardian angels stay with us our whole lives. So what I've heard about this is that um Everyone is assigned a guardian angel at the moment of their conception, and the the role of that angel is to bring you to heaven. Um, and so, 
there is actually what I've heard before, which I thought was really quite lovely, is that we can um, try and, and be loving as we are to be loving to all people and all creatures, loving to our guardian angels and, and helping our guardian angels fulfill that task of bringing us to heaven. And um, with the hope um, that we will uh, be able to to meet each other in in you know the fullness of of that relationship um so yeah it, how, was that helpful um sandy yes it was yes it was helpful yes um yeah it was i think it's interesting what what sister carino said about it may being a saint it may be a saint that you're you're um aware of um not not re- not specifically but this is a specific this is a specific being that has been with me all my life mm-hmm. and i can feel i can feel the love and the care and the nurture from it and if it's not coming from a guardian angel okay. where is it coming from yeah and you think it's not god either Sorry? You don't think that it's um, Jesus himself or... or well, he might. It might be because I've had um, um, uh, one specific instance when I was a teenager. Um, and I know a lot of people who have, who have had experiences similar to mine where, you know, I was driving and a voice said to me um, only two words. It said, brace yourself. And it was the days before seatbelts. And um, as soon as that happened, I braced myself, and then we were hit by a bus. Wow. And the bus swung round, faced the other direction. The, um, the car was a complete write-off, and I landed underneath the dashboard. <laughs> when I got out of the car, all the side, my side of the car was dented in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was wow. just in, an incredible thing. And I've had one or two things happen like that. And, you know, um, so somebody or something is looking after me and it's the most amazing, it's the most amazing thing. Wow. That's wonderful. Praise God. I think we can definitely say that all of this comes under the care and the love that God has for you. And I suppose the specific question is, is this care and love coming through the work of an angel, your guardian angel, a saint, you know, may, maybe Our Lady. But we can definitely say that, you know, all of this is coming under the the powerful love and the care that, that God has for you. So I think we can, you know, even if we're not entirely sure if it's an angel or a saint or, or what have you, um, we can definitely give thanks to God for, for all the ways that he's, he's protected and guided you over the years. That's wonderful. Yes, yes, it is. And does it really matter whether it's a guardian angel or not? Um, I have a feeling... Um, I've always thought it was a guardian angel that was looking that was was uh, um, looking after me, but um, yeah, um, I'm not so sure now. <laughs> You'll find out in heaven, I imagine. I, I, think... will. I, can't, I can't wait to meet them. They're a great bunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thank you for that Bye. call. Thank you, Andy. God bless you.
So um, I think it's time for us to have a, another... Oh, no, we don't have much time left, so let's not go to a piece of music, because that, that's less talking, um, even though I'd love to play Maddie Pryor for you, Sister Carino. We'll have to save that for next time. Exactly. Um, we, have, uh, we have a question from Raj, and I'd like to get to that. So here it is. Good morning. You know, the great-grandfather of Noah walked with God and he was no more. God took him alive to heaven. Now my question is, why is the book of Enoch removed from the Bible? It talks about heaven, Nephilim, and watches, etc. Please explain. Thank you. Excellent. So this is a question about the, the book of Enoch, which is a non-canonical Jewish text, which talks about things that would seem to be of, of great interest to, to the authors of the Old Testament. And so Raj is wondering why it isn't in the Old Testament. Um, I might just pick up on his language. Raj says that why has it been removed or why is it removed from the Old Testament? But actually it was never in there to begin with. Um, I think that that's a key distinction to make. It's not like, you know, someone came across a corpus of the Old Testament which contained Enoch and thought, no, I'm taking that out. Um, when it comes to what ancient religious texts are considered what we call canonical, which means um, they adhere to the rule of what makes a book that is divinely inspired. So canon is, is from the Greek for rule. So you're applying a set of rules to this book and saying, does this meet the criteria for being a divinely inspired book? And therefore it's, it's part, of, part of the Bible. So Enoch doesn't meet that criteria. It's not a canonical book. And basically when it comes to the, the assembly of the Old Testament, when it comes to the putting together of all the books of the Old Testament and their recognition as canonical books, there are really three criteria that the Jewish people um, worked by. Um, firstly, it was the authorship. So was this book historically attributed to someone like um, Moses, for instance, in the case of um, the Pentateuch, or King David in the case of the Psalms. So is, that is there an authority of authorship there? Um, the consensus of the community, has there been a general consensus for, for many decades or even centuries within the Jewish faith that this is a divinely inspired book? And finally, um, the reverence with which it is treated um, in liturgical ceremonies. So in the synagogue or in the temple, um, is this one of those books where, you know, to use the kind of technical term, do you have to wash your hands? Do you have to purify your hands after touching it because it's a holy book? Mm. Um, so these were the three criteria that the Jewish people kind of applied. And these were not criteria that were applied to the book of Enoch. So it's not seen as canonical. We're going to have to cut it off right there because we are out of time. But would you say a very short prayer for us, please, Sister Carino? I certainly shall. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. And we ask you to bless all of our listeners and all who have asked questions as we go forward in faith, in your name. And we ask all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Carino. Thank you, Tim. Yeah.